This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Welcome to episode 348 of the Yellow World Pod. I'm your host Stefan Busko and today we will talk how Dortmund screwed the pooch in our absence. Yay, for all that and more, <laughs> joins me, Matthias Zuk, returning champion. Hello, how are you doing? I'm doing okay, a little frazzled, but uh, that seems to be my life right now. But on a good side, my newborn son slept through the night, so yay! <laughs> awesome. Also here, returning champion, Adam Dorowski. Hello, Adam. How are you doing? Oh, good, good. My three teenagers also slept through the night. That's uh, excellent. Yeah, my dog shook himself a couple times this night, so that woke me up. But otherwise, uh, everything uh, went well, I think. So, um, yeah. Okay, so um, obviously we haven't been here for a while due to scheduling issues and other things and me walking to Ikea a million times in the last couple of weeks and still new house, still stuff to get every other day. Um, so first of all, for that, I apologize, but even more so because uh, the uh, sponsoring thing we have for this episode is completely screwed up. But uh, nevertheless, here it goes. We are completely We euro so this episode is sponsored by Jordan Hunt, um, who was very late himself, I guess, but uh, he wishes a happy birthday to at YNWA Borussia, as it was her birthday on the match day against Bruges. Welp. So yeah, that's that's uh, that's been a while, hasn't it, right? So um, yeah, uh, sorry sorry if if I missed that uh, or whatever but um yeah so that that was that was still a happier time um adam i don't know since since you're the neutral here uh since you weren't on in the last uh episodes but uh, may maybe it's all my fault because i think on the last show i said after the bruce game after the 3-0 win how happy i was with dortmund and how i feel like i can finally unclench and uh it feels good now how Dortmund are in the flow and we have this automatism going on and, uh, you know, even though the, the fall is probably going to get tricky, it seems as though Dortmund would be picking up results and then the Cologne game happened. So is it my fault or is there someone or something else to blame and if so, who or what? Oh gosh, I don't know. I don't think you're to, you're you're to blame here. I think that everybody thought that things were so rosy in, in uh, Dortmund and it just seems like uh, we had everybody healthy. Like I was tweeting about uh, how strong the 11s were and how strong the benches were. And even though we could make a whole other 11 of players and all of a sudden everybody's hurt, all the points are being dropped and everything's terrible. So I don't <laughs> think it's you, but everyone was in the same boat as you thinking that everything was going great. All right. So Matthias, um, what happened against Cologne other than that Dortmund can't defend the same freaking set piece twice? Well, I mean, it, it kind of goes down to, I, Adam, I can't remember if you tweeted it out or somebody else did. It was basically how Favre uh, or Dortmund under Favre, and it's not necessarily a Favre thing. It, it's something that's happened in previous seasons as well. 
but that against these lower echelon teams that don't want to have a very hard time in winning, they they get the most shots, they though not a lot on target, they definitely get all the possession, all the corners, uh, they'll even win the majority of tackles, but they just can't win, they can't break them down, and I think against Kuhn it was the same thing, I mean, if we look at it, Aside from those two corners, Cohn really didn't do much of anything in the match. They didn't have to. I mean, they they really didn't. Uh, they defended. Dortmund had chances uh, to to equalize, and you could even say if you look at the chances, they could have won it. But that that would have, I feel like, would have papered over some of the cracks in the sense of when a team sits that deep and plays that compact and has no interest in being an active participant in a a match of football. Dortmund are very static. They they just don't have a plan of attack as far as breaking someone down with movement and so on. Um, of course, it doesn't help that Holland <laughs> missed a type of goal that I don't think he'll ever miss again. Um, so it was just it was kind of just one of those matches, really, where everything kind of went wrong that could have for Dortmund. And everything went right for Köln. I mean, they they got lucky on two set pieces, and that was the end of the match, really. Well, I don't I don't know if if that's uh, all that happened. Um, first of all, I really thought right from the start when I saw the lineup that it's going to be a very long game because Guerrero was out. So you had Paslak and Meunier as your fullbacks, and we all know that Dortmund do build a lot through the wings, and uh, Guerrero, I think, has morphed into a world-class left-back over this season, definitely, and um, his his uh, lack of creativity, uh, or, or his creativity lacking has been felt very dearly in this game, and I thought that Emre Can and Axel Witzel is absolutely the, the, the worst decision you can go for in, in the double pivot for this game when you need to create because first of all I don't think either of them really has the pace and, and, and goes forward a lot to to make this game quick enough uh, to to move uh, the lines around I think that's a big problem and the, the second one just tactically um, it wasn't all that great from uh, the uh, double pivot the Dortmund have because they were so often just on the same line and there were very few angles for them to to play around the players behind them so I thought that sort of made Dortmund's game super static. Um, what I did like is that they, they switched their systems every now and then. So there was a bit of fluidity and uh, occasionally they, they created a chance. But um, I still think that once I saw the lineup, the lack of creativity pretty much everywhere was uh, pretty uh, yeah obvious. And uh, I must say also in uh, the system that Dortmund played for the most part, Marco Royce as a number 10 behind Haaland, it's not really that effective. So, um, you know, from from the uh, from the fullbacks and the midfield, I didn't really expect that much. Jaden Sancho tried to dribble, but he always had to dribble like two or three guys, and that really didn't work. And uh, yeah, Julian Ambrand on the other side also didn't really create much momentum due, due to his being absolutely out of form right now. So I was like, okay, the only uh, guys that really can create something here are maybe Hummels and Akanji and... Uh, they tried, but even Hummels had a couple of his uh, classic long balls just finding uh, absolutely nothing. So, um, yeah, a very frustrating game. And you just were waiting for something to change. And, I mean, there was a bit of a spark. And uh, 
if you guys don't mind, I don't really want to dwell too long on this game, even though Dortmund had like, I think 2.9 expected goals to Cologne's 1.6. So maybe a win would have been even deserved. But um, Adam, while we have you here, I think the the game really changed and, and opened up uh, once uh, Favre brought on Mokoko and Reina. And uh, I'll, I'll just hand it over to you and uh, explain how Dortmund nearly uh got back into the game to to either win it or equalize yeah the the chances definitely came towards the end of the game uh once once those guys came on i i would actually say that this match they had the chances they should have had this win because there were several chances throughout the game not to jump ahead to the frankfurt game but i felt like that one just it didn't feel like we had as many chances because we had like sancho off the bar in the first few minutes we had uh hummels offside uh with the his goal there that was brought back uh once mukoko came on he yeah had you also a had, nice... a, had a Holland miss where he had the side netting in a chance that he often usually buries well and a, and a beautiful header from hummels too that was saved by horn and uh when mukoko came on he had uh well, he got his, uh, this is the match that he had his first pre-assist, right? Yeah, he got, he got his first pre-assist on the goal. And then towards the end of the game, it was, it was him that would have had the, the pre-assist again, too, on, on, uh, the, the chance that Holland missed, too, where, uh, he essentially took a shot, but then Royce did really well to dig it out. I just felt like there were a lot of chances. I think that's why the XG is so high. And that doesn't even, uh, count the Hummels chance that was taken back because it was offside. But, uh, yeah, Mukoko in this match, I feel like, it was it was night and day when he came on. It was it was a spark, and that's what we were hoping he would do. Uh, I think we've seen in other matches too that maybe he is he has to you know get used to this a little bit. He's a little bit raw, but the talent is there. That's just that turn that he made on his first chance was just beautiful. He just cut through the entire back line, and that's something that had been missing because, like you said, it was just really hard to break through Cologne. Yeah, and obviously Torgenhazar also came on in the 61st minute and he scored the only right. goal, which was a really well-taken goal um, yeah. that that was nicely created too. Um, so I guess there are a couple of positives to take away from this game, but zero points against Cologne, who are obviously second to last. Um, it's not great. Um, Matthias, I don't know if you were referring or trying to refer to the tweet by Tobias Escher, who tweeted out that Dortmund lost 14 games in the Bundesliga yes. under Favre. and. Yes. Four were against Bayern and uh, one against Leverkusen and another team, I forgot, I think Hoffenheim or so. And the other seven were literally always against uh, bottom dwellers or, or teams that fight against relegation. So obviously there's a bit of a theme here. Um, do you think that uh, Lucien Favre is a coach um, that that will always continue to struggle where Dortmund lose points in exactly these games that you must not lose points if you want to win a title or, you know, uh, go very far and high in the Bundesliga? Absolutely. I, I have no doubt about that, but that's that's not news to us. I mean, this is something we've talked about now when he got hired his first season, second season, and again now just because that's his style he's not an aggressive attacking high press he he prefers when the opposition comes at him and there's room for counterattacking or a you know i would say even patient build up but you know just just the expectations are different i mean his best period were at clubs like nice and gladbach where um you can really see that the opposition oftentimes 
you know, you try to to open it up against each other, and that that played into his hands, kind of like the first se- the first half of the first season with Dortmund, where teams came at Dortmund more left space, and Dortmund torched them. Once the teams changed how they played Dortmund, things got more difficult, and that really hasn't changed. You're going to have to figure out how to break teams down that have no interest and being lured out, especially if you then concede a set-piece goal twice, the same one, (laughs) to the same guy. Um, Which really, I mean, that's not a standard theme for Dortmund this season. They've been pretty good against set-pieces. So, you know, I don't want to harp on that per se, but then then it gets really, really difficult. And that's that's the difference between Dortmund and Bayern. Because even, because most teams sit deep against Bayern. And try to just not get embarrassed. And Bayern still finds a way to embarrass them. And that, I don't know if it's individual quality. I don't know if it's tactics. Uh, probably a combination of both, even though individual quality is there for Dortmund. But part of it is also the willingness to do something. You had, <clears throat> I can't believe I'm saying this, but you had Mo Dahoud on the bench and he is a creative player. He is a he is your prototypical playmaker. And to not utilize him in this match when it's so obvious that it's difficult and every single time under Favre when you've played against deep-lying teams that are this defensive and don't want to have had problems, they've played a double pivot like they did against Köln. Whether it's Witzel and Chan or Witzel and Delaney, there is zero creativity. You add to that the fact that, I'm sorry, Julian Brandt is complete waste of space right now on a pitch. And you get this kind of match. Torgan Hazard, to me, should start ahead of Julian Brandt. Because he is a more creative, more dynamic, and more direct player. And that is exactly what Dortmund need. In matches like that, 100%. Adam? Yeah, when you have the midfield that's struggling with creativity, and then you add the fact that you don't have Guerrero, who's just a, a secret weapon, uh, it, it, it it's tough to get find where the creativity is going to come from because Raf is just he's so dynamic down that wing that he can make up for a midfield that isn't doing all that much in terms of creativity, and he just goes around it and creates on his own. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the, there's not much, not much for me to add. Maybe uh, I would really like to know who decided that the uh, far post doesn't have to be covered on a second corner kick. I mean, yes, Dortmund were oh. down Meunier, but uh, I think usually that's maybe down to the goalkeeper, but I don't know how Dortmund handled it. Either way, um, that was a bit of headless chicken uh, defense right there. <laughs> and I remember talking to my wife, you know, oh, well, uh, Meunier goes off, uh, maybe, maybe that had... Uh, Dortmund in a way that uh, it reinvigorates them because it was Hazard coming on for Meunier. But I was like, yeah, but uh, before that, uh, they need to survive the set piece. And obviously, five seconds later, the ball was in the net. So um, that's just really frustrating because um, let, let's let's put it this way. This is pretty much a rookie error. You know, for to a team like Dortmund, this must not happen. I mean, obviously, Cologne... Um, don't have a lot of strengths, but they have a lot of tall players. And I think the last time around, they, they faced off at least in Cologne. Uh, they also opened the scoring due to a corner kick. So um, this can happen, obviously. Um, but also just really annoying that uh, I think in, in both situations that it was Marius Wolf who sort of flicked it on. And uh, 
idiot me was, uh, you know, talking down a sort of curse of the X on the previous episode. And then obviously Dortmund get hit by Marius Wolf, get hit by Giro Immobile. And then uh, who was it in the uh, Frankfurt game? Wasn't it Rode that assisted to Kamada or something like that? Uh, that was Hinteregger who had assisted oh, there, but okay, yeah. Well, yeah. I only I only saw the highlight literally for one second. That's all. It just flashed on my screen. I didn't I, I didn't bother to look it up again. So, mm-hmm. all right, good. Let's let's retract that bit. But anyway, uh, point still stands. I shouldn't jinx things like that. Um, yeah. So moving on, <laughs> unless anyone has still anything to say about this game, uh, after that Dortmund uh, drew against Lazio, which uh, obviously was always going to be a fun one uh, once you know who Antonio Mateo Lajos is, <laughs> the Spanish referee who is always somewhere in the center of attention. Um, so again, uh, a very classic Champions League game where not much happened. I would say Dortmund playing with the Giorena, Marco Reus and uh, Torgenhauser up top and then you had uh, Delaney and Bellingham which I think was the much better option and obviously Dortmund I think reverted to the back three uh, with Emre, uh, no, Lucas Piszczek coming back and then obviously you had Matteo Morey and Rafael Guerrero. Uh, so in many ways a completely different team obviously uh, in the meantime Haaland <laughs> uh, picked up the... Uh, hamstring injury which will rule him out for the end of the year and we'll talk about that in a second but um when i saw the lineup i was uh, way more hopeful uh about Dortmund getting all three points in there matthias why in the end was it not the case um minus the refereeing decision but it wasn't also like Dortmund were thus so dominant that they could have uh, blown lazio away well i'll argue that they should have uh you know Dortmund. If you look at the full match, yes, Lazio had some great moments in that second half. Um, but the first half, Lazio really didn't show up. They only showed up for about 15 to 20 minutes in the entire match. It was all in the second half. Um, Dortmund should have put this one away significantly sooner. They were on the front foot. They were playing well. They were playing with energy, dynamism, and movement. And um, not having your only striker obviously proved to be a bit of an issue. Huh. Uh, and like you said, that's something we will talk about because I want to talk about it. Yeah, we're going to um, talk about it. And, uh, but, of course, it's not helped by the referee who, you know, um, I doubt he listens to us, uh, but he's an asshole. <laughs> and... Um, you know, I mean, he told people on the Dortmund bench to shut up already early on after a clear foul against a Dortmund player that wasn't called. I've watched plenty of La Liga in my time. I despise the man. He's kind of one of those guys who gets international call-ups, kind of like um, Felix Breuch, Felix Breuch <laughs> who you're also like, how? I mean, A, how does the guy still have a job given, you know, that, you know, anyway, betting scandals aside – um, he's just kind of a prick. And that kind of falls into that same category. I, when I saw the ref, when I, I, I saw I, the first calls, I, think you I just, was like, you this just, is not going to be good. Uh, you just uh, mistook Felix Brich for Felix Zweier, unless they were more better. Sorry. Than, yes, but, yes, but, sorry. But yeah, both sorry. Are Different Felix, same prick. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Okay. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Um, <laughs> it's, moving back. Uh, moving back. Moving back on topic. But anyway, he. Um, you could just tell that it wasn't necessarily going to be Dortmund's night from a refereeing standpoint. But I, I hate to blame the ref for Dortmund not getting the points, even though in this case, I don't even know you can blame the ref. You kind of have to blame whoever was, you know, watching VAR. But uh, it, it doesn't come down to that. You got to put a match away before that. And Dortmund could have. Granted, so could have Lazio. But I feel like Dortmund had more control over longer periods of the match and really should have just done more with it. So I think that until the 60th minute, Dortmund were clearly in the driver's seat. And I think I tweeted around the 60th minute just before Dortmund started to make substitutions that now would be a good time for Dortmund to put the game away. And this is literally when uh, Nico Schulz came on for Guerrero and uh, I was like, oh boy, uh, things might, uh, you know, become a little bit more tense. And uh, wouldn't you know, just five minutes later, uh, Schulz sort of caused this penalty. I don't know. It was a weird sort of dive, but I'm I'm still not entirely sure whether he touched the ball first or whether it was the Italian player. Um, Adam, what what did you make of this penalty? On on the one hand, it's it's a little clumsy. On the one hand, on the other hand, you also s- clearly see on the on the replay that it was the dive. Yes, it was. I I don't know what else to say. I've tried watching this thing a million times to to see why it was chosen this way and why it didn't go to VAR, and I can't come up with anything. I mean, he looks like he just got the ball and then. The player just fell over him. And it's incredibly frustrating because up until that point, you know, I, I've, I was happy. I was entertained. They were a little bit leaky at the back at times, but they were looking pretty good going forward. And it was a fun match to watch. But then once that happened, I just, well, basically, as soon as Guerrero comes off, we, we love Guerrero. He's amazing. And he comes off, Schultz comes on. And of course, immediately this happens to Schultz, the guy who really could use some good luck on his side uh, to break into this team. And this happens. And then immediately after that, for him to get this beautiful shot to to score and redeem himself and it it pulls wide and it it just gets to the point that it's like, man, the the luck he has, I just felt bad. Like he needed something better than, than what happened to him, but unfortunately it didn't happen. And, you know, towards the end of the match, it it just didn't get any better. Uh, Roman Burke is the one that kept it close. Yeah, that's true. Uh, we we must mention that uh, that he really made a handful of really good saves in this one, and uh, kept Dortmund uh, in this tie. And uh, I mean, Lucien Favre in the end really made sure to emphasize that um, that he is sort of happy with the point because Dortmund did qualify. And I think uh, in the German Sky feed broadcast interview, there was a bit of a kerfuffle with uh, Patrick Wasserzieher because uh, apparently. Uh, the interviewer did not understand the uh, substitution role because they were asking why after um, Hummels limped off the field uh, after taking that knock from Guerrero why he couldn't make another substitutions. Uh, because uh, if you do not know, and I think there were a couple of people who, who asked this, you only can uh, substitute in three instances. So there are basically three substitution slots, but you can make five substitutions of players so um if if you make a double swap that's fine you can uh, substitute three players or four players or five players at one time but uh, you can't 
substitute five players individually one by one. So um, yeah, it's it's kind of crazy that uh, a guy who is paid a decent salary to interview people and be a sports journalist basically uh, doesn't know that. So that was a bit uh, <laughs> embarrassing. And so it was kind of funny when Favre said that uh, we are qualified, unlike you. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that, that that was that there was a fun one uh, from Favre. But uh, yeah, otherwise. Uh, a bit annoying that Dortmund have to travel to Zenit now, uh, sort of still having to win because uh, I, I still think you want to win this group. Um, Matthias, otherwise, uh, what were the positives from this game other than uh, Guerrero scoring? And I think, uh, wasn't it uh, Reina who got the assist? Oh no, that was Hazard was probably Reina with a pre-assist or something like that. It yes. was a nice move. You know, I got that. <laughs> Well, the positive thing is that it was definitely an improvement over what we saw in Rome in the first Champions League match, um, and that Dortmund was able to create. They played energetically after the downer that was the Köln match, and so you go into a team against Lazio, who's also a you just don't know what to expect match to match. They're they're such a head case this season. Uh, that it could have also gone very, very bad for Dortmund, but they came out. It's almost like they they shook off the Köln result and put their heads down and played very, very well and honestly just got unlucky um, and and should have should have put the, the match away. But the positive was they played well, they controlled large periods of the match and got... Get, really got the result at the end of the day that they really needed, which was qualification to the next round. Yeah, I mean, the 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 biggest, best news, I guess, from this game is uh, that Mats Hummels did pick up a terrible injury because when you lose Haaland um, and Hummels basically in, in the period of, what, 24 hours or even fewer, um, yeah, that would have really sucked. So um, that's obviously a big positive now. Um it's it's just very annoying that Haaland is out injured because um, it's a muscular injury and uh, you know these players are under a lot of strain and uh, Favre was reluctant to rotate and it's it's kind of almost ironic that uh, he was asked before the Cologne game when he would give Haaland a rest due to the strain and uh, Favre you know set with a smirk as late as possible. And uh, arguably, um, well, it wasn't too late then, maybe not, because Haaland still played the Cologne match. But um, yeah, he really should have probably rested him for the Champions League. But uh, usually you wouldn't do that. Uh, maybe, maybe uh, you know, if you think about it in, in longer terms, you would probably sit him for the Cologne game. And if things don't work out, you bring him on for the last 20 minutes or so. But um, yeah, uh, I think he has scored about 45-46% of Dortmund's goals. That percentage will obviously go down a little as uh, Dortmund score more goals. But the problem is, uh, without him, they don't score that many. So Adam, that is uh, really a big headache. Uh, Dortmund are even more reliant on Haaland this season than they were uh, in the in the previous season. So um, yeah, how how is this going to... Uh, negatively impact Dortmund's season, you you think? Huh, well, through I was looking at the numbers through 10 games last season, and interestingly enough, um, right now we have 22 goals scored and 10 allowed. And last season, at this point, they had 23 scored and 11 allowed, so just one more of each. 
And the, the goal breakdowns were five for Paco, five for Marco, three for Jaden, two for Hakimi, two for Axel, two for Mario Goetze, uh, two more for uh, Guerrero, and one apiece for Brent and Torgan. And right now, uh, we've got Holland with 10. Like you said, he's got 45% of the goals. Next best is, is actually Matt's Hummels. It's, he's got three. Nobody else has more. So it's really, really difficult to make up for the fact that he's scoring all the goals. Um, even after he arrived last season, he scored 30% of Dortmund's uh, goals in the second half. So the, 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 what he's scoring at now is just way, way up. Uh, from from where he was last year. So, so so my question is, when I can stop you here, is it the yeah. the case that Haaland is just scoring more and thus has a higher percentage, or is everyone else around him just scoring fewer goals because everyone literally seems to be out of form? It's a good question. Uh, there, when he's not on the pitch, we're not scoring, which is unfortunately a, a big issue as well. Um, so I, I don't know. Is putting Mukoko in the fix? I felt like. At times when, when Royce is up top, it seems like they're passing into Holland's runs and Holland's runs aren't there because he's not there. Royce can't catch up. So I don't know if, if we become too reliant on Holland that it's kind of messed with this beautiful, uh, multifaceted offense that, that they had the first half of last season or, or all of last season, really, even once he arrived. Well, I think that's a, compl a question complex enough for Matthias to answer. Well, um, <laughs> no, I mean, we've, we've lamented about this, this season. I mean, we really lamented about it even when Paco was there. It's like, okay, Paco Alcacer is, is out injured like he was often. And then you had Mario Götze backing him up, who played well, but then was also in and out of form just because of, I don't know, we never really got the insights into that. Um, And and now it's even more extreme because Holland is such a game changer. I mean, he is, after Lewandowski, the perfect striker. He really, really is. Especially if you think about his age and how much better he can still become. I, I refuse that, that notion because scary. you cannot be the perfect striker if you join Bayern. So that's your, that's your first flaw in your argument <laughs> right there. But continue. Okay. I'll, okay. I'll grant it Fine just enough. this one time. <laughs> Um, but so your, your game is naturally going to gravitate towards a difference maker like that. Now you don't have that guy. Now you have to reinvent the wheel when so many players are also facing, I don't know about form issues, but health issues, just being tired or being injured, being out. Uh, your build-up play is disrupted, um, which is obviously was an issue now with Akanji being out, and then uh, in, in the the match against Frankfurt, uh, which I did actually end up seeing. But that whole system just gets changed so much, and so you not only have Holland, who's your he's your goal machine. Obviously, I mean he turned he has turned matches around single-handedly. I don't. There's nobody on Dortmund that can do that right now, aside from Holland. Uh, arguably, there's almost nobody in the Bundesliga that's able to do that. You know, there's there are very few players in the world that are able to do that. So um, losing a player like that obviously is a big issue. Maybe there's an advantage the fact that Dortmund are coming towards the winter break, so they can recalibrate. 
in that time frame and maybe hold up we'll be back four then. days <laughs> maybe yeah, yeah yeah well but still i mean it's there there is a break there to kind of just take a breather sit down and reevaluate things and come up with a plan b because right now julian brandt that's not i mean that shouldn't even be a plan let alone a b c or whatever royce okay maybe mukoko i mean he's 16 and he's not the physical presence that Holland is on top of it. So you have to change your approach. And my concern is that when this approach gets changed, we see the less vertical, a little bit less direct, a little bit less dynamic Dortmund that was there when Paco and, and Götze were the quote-unquote strikers, and especially when Paco was out, that it just became so stagnant, so plodding, you're playing against deeper sitting defenses and your striker keeps dropping off, but the opposition is so disciplined, they're not following him. So there are no gaps. So you're just 10 people standing in front of an opposition uh, penalty area with nothing happening. And that's that's a big concern. And that gets to the, why did you not sign another striker? The question there is if you, how many strikers would be willing to go into Dortmund knowing they would play second fiddle, play less minutes. And the other thing is it's not like if you look at, say, the team from Bavaria where you've got a 30 something year old striker where if you are in your early to mid twenties, you're like, ah, I'll bide myself a couple of seasons, get enough matches, score some goals and then inherit, so to speak. Holland's 20. There's no, like, are you going to get a 10-year-old next to kind of be his understudy? <laughs> and that's just not the situation. If you're banking on Mukoko at 16 to do it, you're doing the kid a disservice. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I still think that, that you need a, a different type of player. Because if Bayern don't have Lewandowski, I mean, I think they have Zirkse, who is uh, not too shabby, but at least they uh, have also players like... Serge Gnabry and like Kingsley Coman and like Leroy Zane, who at least have a physical presence and a dynamic that uh, sort of uh, adds something that Dortmund don't have in the same type of caliber. Um, meaning that Bayern, I think, can handle playing without a striker a little bit better than Dortmund can right now. Um, and obviously, if you look at RB uh, Leipzig, they also have a handful of strikers. So, um, I still think that Dortmund should have, in a, in a long-term planning way, should have found someone, if it's a talent or so, at number two. I mean, you, you need to find something, and s someone, even if it's uh, freaking Dimitar Berbatov again, uh, who, who, who will sit on the bench and knows he'll get a couple of games because uh, Haaland will either uh, get injured, which he apparently does from time to time if you play him every freaking game, or... Uh, you you just try to use these uh, couple of minutes. I mean, Adrian Ramos uh, managed to do that as well. So uh, I mean, it it happened before. Um, Adam, I don't know what what your opinion is, but I think uh, Dortmund really need to think about having two strikers at all time, especially for for the uh, ambitions they have. And uh, I mean, we've we've seen it long enough now that whoever you put in there, be it Hazard, be it Royce, be be it Brandt or whatever. It just doesn't work. Yeah, I think it really came down to money in in the uh, transfer market. This I just we heard about how much Dortmund lost. I don't think that they had the money to invest, and I don't think that the 
the free options were appealing enough. Maybe, maybe, maybe they should have gone for Chippa Moteng, uh, who ended up in Bayern. I don't know. Um, I don't know. At this point, do you, do you try Tiggs, uh, from, uh, the second, uh, the just U23s there? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's true. Oh, man. Just keep away from Berkey. Um, <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's tough. There's no second striker to swap in unless you want to put it all on Makoko's shoulders. And that, like, it's just not fair to him at this point. Although I, I do wonder, uh, if he's going to be starting against Zenit or possibly even against Braunschweig, just because I think those might have been matches that would have been the ones to give, uh, a break to Holland anyway. So maybe they'll, they'll just see how he does there. I, I, we're, we're already through to the round of 16. So there isn't a ton to lose. So hopefully there's not too much pressure. Give him a try. See what he can do. All right. So Adam, uh, you obviously watched the first half. Uh, against Frankfurt, you found the stream. You were smart. Uh, I was I was mm-hmm. smart in a different way. I saw I saw that uh, ESPN had troubles uh, uh, providing the stream, so I took a nice shower. <laughs> so yeah, that that was probably smarter. So um, I I I had a tea afterwards, so I was all nice and uh, invigorated. And then when I saw that they were bringing on Mukoko, I was like, ah, well, what the hell? Why why not tune in? Um, but yeah, so I was busy showering, making tea, walking the dog, all that, having breakfast, uh, while Dortmund played their first half. So, uh, you know, need to fill out or fill in the blanks rather and why Daichi Kamada scored. Uh, my guess is that Dortmund didn't have all the pace in the back line without Akanji there and, uh, Zagadou being on the other side of that play. So I guess he got in behind John and Hummels. Is this what happened? Yeah, uh, John was the one that uh, played Kamada onside. And it, a lot of it has to be down to this pass from Hinteregger. He just pulled out this, this Mats Hummels pass, like the entire length of the pitch. And the takedown that Kamada did was just absolutely beautiful. Uh, it's one of those things. It was just a perfectly crafted goal. And John kept Kamada onside, but he wasn't close enough to him. He just kind of looked and was like, oh shit, now I got to try to track this guy down. And there was just no chance. And Hummels was too far advanced because Dortmund was was pushing forward at the time. <laughs> because Hummels. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it was just absolutely beautifully taken. Uh, the Hinteregger pass was just, I, I love that guy anyway. So Okay, so apart from apart from that, what happened? Why couldn't Dortmund get it going, or did they? I don't know what happened. So, yeah, it was it was the half that I've been the most angry about. Nothing happened. You didn't miss anything. It was probably better off that you didn't watch it. Uh, it's it's really even hard to like pinpoint things that happened in this match. It, it's so so many shots were. Uh, so few shots happened. I mean, that there wasn't really much to, to even take in and talk about. Things started to turn around in the second half, at least. And Gio Reyna looked really good and his goal was absolutely beautiful, but that, that's getting ahead of where we are. The first half was just like, it, it ended at halftime and you were just like, ah, oh, I'm watching this shitty stream and nothing happened. And I'm mad at ESPN. I'm mad at Dortmund. I'm mad at everything. It was it was just bad. It wasn't a good place, especially after the the previous two matches. Yeah, that's I think maybe the the key word here because Matthias, if I look at the schedule, I feel like I'm very much okay with the point in Frankfurt because I know for Dortmund it's always a tough game, and if it weren't for the loss in Cologne, which is super vexing, I would have been like maybe eh maybe Dortmund 
can drop a point here and be a bit tired because after all these games and with injuries now piling up a little bit more, that's sort of something you can expect, like a stale game and maybe Frankfurt, uh, you know, finding one lucky moment or so. And, and that's, that's then how it goes. Um, so I don't want to be too hard on them. On, on the other hand, obviously, uh, Frankfurt haven't won a game in seven. Uh, I think that was their seventh consecutive draw or something uh, completely ridiculous. Meanwhile, I think it was Dortmund's first draw in the Bundesliga in 2020 overall. So I um, guess their streak was just too powerful. But um, yeah, what's, what can we take away from this game other than uh, this one uh, meek point? Well, like you said, I mean, it's Frankfurt has for many years been a difficult place for Dortmund to play, no matter who the coach was. I mean, whether it's Fee or Kovac or Hütte, um, they play Dortmund very well, obviously very physical, which is something Dortmund still doesn't like. I mean, nobody likes it, but some teams revel in it. Frankfurt revels in it. Uh, Dortmund does not at all, um, which is always something I lament. And I feel like that's where the loss of Holland really is felt because he kind of gets off on it. Like if, if the opposition's being chippy and nasty, it makes him play even better. You know, that's, that's just the kind of guy he is. Uh, and Dortmund don't have a lot of those types of players. And so, and Frankfurt know that they, they, since, especially since Adi Hütter's there, they know if they step on Dortmund's toes often enough. I mean, you can make the argument Sebastian Rode should have been sent off instead of getting substituted. Um, you add to that the absolutely atrocious pitch. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I, I tweeted, said it looked like something I played on the, in the Landesliga in the 1990s. And I'm not kidding. It looked horrible. So you've got, you know, ech weather, an ech opponent, and an ech pitch. You're missing your goal guy. You're missing, uh, Guerrero. So it's just, it just kind of felt that way. You're missing Akanji. You had a very rusty Zagadou. And that's my big bonus from this match is that Zagadou is back. I think that's, you know, the band will be back together again pretty soon. But you could tell, you know, Akanji wasn't there. So the build-up play was a little nah, static at times. Fogfoot played well. I think this is a match where you go, yeah, I'm okay with the draw. Like you said, I think it reflected the match overall. I think if Dolman would have gotten a win here, you, you would have said, kind of stole one. If Frankfurt would have gotten a win, they would have stolen one. Like you said, the the match that really irks is Köln because on the full run of play and judging by what Dortmund should have done, like defend two corners, um, <laughs> you know, if that match would have gone according to also the opportunities and chances that Dortmund did have, now you would be looking at Dortmund being a point behind Bayern in second place. As things are, Dortmund are in fourth place. They're four points behind Bayern, one point ahead of Wolfsburg, who I just cannot stand to watch play. And so it just all feels kind of meh this time of year. I think it's also just all the matches are just getting to everybody. And they're just tired. They're getting tired. And that that is reflected in this as well, in my opinion. Yeah, I think we all need to get into the headspace uh, for the remaining, what is it now, five games or so? That this is not going to be a very fun ride. I mean, I can be very wrong, but uh, I have the feeling now that uh, Dortmund sort of peaked in Bruges. 
sort of a, a streak of games where I was very uh, happy with everything that happened. And once I uttered that I was happy, uh, the hammer came down <laughs> and the injury which made her rounds. Uh, and, and here we are traveling with minus nine players to Senate St. Petersburg. <laughs> Uh, which is obviously great, but um, be- before we talk about that, um, I will say this: um, I thought the uh, the second half obviously wasn't too shabby. It was nice to see uh, Mukoko getting the forty five minute run, which uh, says a lot about how much Favre um, trusts him. Uh, I wasn't quite sure whether subbing him on for Dahoud was a wise option, just because I hadn't seen that half. But nevertheless, I thought it was. Um, a bit better because it allowed Julian Brandt to get a more uh, suitable position than uh, floating around uh, aimlessly up top and obviously um, a bit more dynamic. And I thought, um, you know, Mokoko had a couple of really good moments. Um, a heavy touch here and there, which uh, let him down. But otherwise, um, at least he was in situations to score. He couldn't really uh, capitalize against Frankfurt, but you can see how uh, he'll probably do it uh, once things kick a little bit more into gear for him. And obviously Giorena with uh, that fantastic goal. Um, so yeah, that was that was positive. And in the uh, period, especially in, the, I, I want to say, 15, 20 minutes after halftime, um, when Dortmund actually, um, you know, forced the issue a little bit. And that was also the, the time when Giorena actually did score the goal. Um, Axel Witzel was very um, involved in the counter-pressing and won a couple of balls very high up in, in Frankfurt's half. So that really helped. I've been harping on him quite a lot recently, but I thought uh, that was very good. And obviously, Jaden Sancho looked improved, Girena looked improved. And uh, one we haven't really mentioned yet, but uh, obviously um, we really must, is um, Matteo More. Uh, because I thought that fitting him as a right back or as a right wing back really helps Dortmund. It really uh, alleviates a bit what Dortmund have been missing without Hakimi. And, uh, you know, I think he is a more attacking uh, player than Meunier, which isn't really hard. But he also really links up much better with Sancho and he can play a couple of through balls into the channels. Uh, he just is very intelligent and a bit faster. So um, I, I'm all here for... Morey and that he is here to stay. Adam, how do you view it? Yeah, I, I view it the same way. I thought that he had much more of an impact in the the um, the match against Lazio. Uh, this is Morey. I think that uh, he did really well there. In fact, I think it was his defensive numbers that stood out even more. So it's interesting that like uh, Munier is more of maybe more of a defensive player than Morey is, but Morey's numbers really kind of stood out there. Uh, he looked good against Frankfurt as well. And I, I think that that shows it's, it's really tough because even the players that are coming in, I feel like most of them are, are performing well. Like even against Lazio, Piszczek came back in and looked great, I thought. So it's, it's, it's tough to pinpoint what it really is. And I think a lot of it too is, is chance conversion that they're, they're just not, uh, one, one number that I wanted to point out too is, is the uh, the uh, Favre overperforming XG thing that he does every year? That's gone. Like it's it's completely gone this year. 
in in 19 his first two years in Dortmund he overperformed his xg by first 25 goals then 21 they're running at negative 1.6 right now so they're they're making all the chances it's just they're just not being converted which feels strange because Holland feels like he's converting everything but I know that's not really about Moray but it was it was just something that I felt like I needed to add to the to it as well is is just the the chance conversion but going back to Moray I think it's it's really encouraging that he can swap in and, and do really well there. I don't know what took so long. It feels like there's been something in training that some reason that he, he wasn't playing at all yet. Cause it seemed like Munyeg was the one that was playing every single minute. Uh, but you know, we have more bodies there that we can use and it's good to rotate there as well. Yeah. Especially if you look on the other side and you have Nico Schultz there. Um, I mean, he can have a solid performance, which I think he did. But uh, he is not Guerrero, he is not uh, Mr. Creativity, and Hoffenheim had this one play where they would uh, draw out an opposition fullback and then play from the half space on it, usually, you know, was, was instigated by Vogt or someone else, and then through midfield, and then you found Nico Schulz always perfectly in that left space, and yet the entire pitch to run in and then have his cross or whatever or even cut into uh, more to a goal and, and do something from there. And that really helped him in his uh, Hoffenheim days that there was an actual tactical play and, and scheme designed for him, which Hoffenheim ran multiple times every game. And right now Dortmund don't really do that. And so, um, yeah, he is uh, not really uh, performing in the same uh, vein, I would say. And I think that the, the fact that Dortmund paid, I think, was it 25 million for him? And that hurts a little right now, uh, I'm honest, because, um, yeah, he is a German international and he, he's a solid player, but he is also not bringing Dortmund to a new level when he comes in. He's just the, the one of many players, the sort of sub that you want to bring on if, if you don't have anyone better, sort of. Um, so that's a bit of a sad story right now, especially with all the bad luck he had against Lazio. Um, so Matthias, uh, how do you view the fullback situation, especially in the light of, uh, that Dortmund now probably only have Schultz and Passlack left to play against Zenit? Well, I mean, if we talk about Moray, what I like about him is more playmaking. He also is less hectic than Passlack. I like Passlack. He's a likable guy. Uh, but he always comes across as very hectic. He makes me anxious <laughs> just because it's it's almost like we have a border collie and he runs around a lot. And if he doesn't get, you know, the right kind of stimulation and hikes and playing with a ball, he's just a little ball of anxious energy. And that's Felix Paslak. So Felix Paslak is a border collie. <laughs> um, whereas Moray is, he just seems calmer and why it took so long. I don't know. Maybe there's a language barrier and communication, understanding tactics. I don't know. Uh, I agree with Nico Schultz. I, I think also with Meunier, um, Meunier is a fullback, not a wingback. Nico Schultz is a wingback, not a fullback. So if you're playing the four, two, three, one, uh, Nico Schultz is not going to play well. If you're playing a back three with wingbacks, Nico Schultz is going to play better. And uh, the the same thing in reverse can be said for for Meunier. Um, so, with all that being said, you've got not a lot of choices. Um, I don't know is is Moray also out, yeah. or are we talking about just on the? He's also out. Yes. Well then, well, Pishek is Pishek out? 
<laughs> I'm not entirely he's out. sure, but I think he is good to go. But I don't know. If- I think he's good to go. But then, yeah, with Akanji being out, and then it's it's just a bit of a mess right now. Um, you know, with so many people, especially in the defense, that are out to try to get a team somehow put together. Um, I mean, you're gonna have to play Paslak on the right and Schultz on the left because you don't have anybody else really at this point. Hazard, even in a back four, I wonder how we do against Zenit. Because I Zen- wouldn't want. I I I know Zenit isn't good. I mean, let's be honest. But to have him as just a fullback, I don't. I, I also don't, don't know, know if Dortmund would play a back four. To be honest, because they would play with Hummels and Zagadou as centre backs. And uh, I don't know if Favu will do that. I feel like either you put in Emre Can there, uh, or again, or uh, or Piszczek or something like that. So I don't. I, I'm not entirely sure if it's going to be a back four. So it might be Schulz on the left or or Pasalak and then Hazard on the right. Maybe I don't know. Uh, who who knows what kind of lineup Favre will come up with? Because on the one hand, yes, you need to win. On the other hand, um, Stuttgart is maybe the more important game. I don't know uh, how Dortmund view that, and maybe they think they can uh, beat Zenit with whatever lineup we'll see tomorrow. We'll find out very soon. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a very weird game. I mean, Dortmund if they win uh, the group. They will, I think, get 2.7 million euros extra prize money, which is obviously nice. Um, and they will, if they win the group, they will definitely avoid uh, Chelsea, Liverpool, and Manchester City. And they will likely avoid Barcelona, who I expect will uh, finish ahead of Juve in their group. And then uh, potentially you can draw either Atletico or FC Salzburg. Uh, Either one of Shakhtar Donetsk, Real Madrid or Inter, you can draw Porto, Atalanta or Ajax, Sevilla, Juve, PSG or Manchester United. So um yeah, the uh, the the draw in the in the next round in the round of sixteen won't be very easy for Dortmund and I'm very intrigued how they will uh yeah c- with, with what they will come up once uh, the Champions League restarts and the knockout runs. I think it's somewhere sometime mid February, so we'll we'll see about that. But yeah, as mentioned, they do travel there without Haaland, without Meunier, Akanji, Guerrero, Delaney, Dahoud, Morey, Hanier, and Schmelzer. So, Adam, um, you you already alluded to maybe playing Mokoku there. What do you expect of Favre to come up with? Oh, gosh. Uh... Given the the, the depth issues elsewhere, I, I think it's less likely that we're going to see uh, Mukoko up top just because it's going to be more of a makeshift lineup um, anyway. So I don't know if putting Mukoko at the top of that is the right thing to do. So I'm guessing that Royce will probably start up top. I don't expect to see a back three against uh, Zenit, but it would allow them to use Hazard as a, a wing back. And as for the, the, the midfield, I don't know. Who, who did you say is actually available in the midfield? The two players that are actually available will probably start in midfield. Well, you would have uh, Witzel and Bellingham, for example. Right, yeah. And I honestly, I'm getting to the point that I don't want to take Bellingham out ever again. It <laughs> just seems to, he seems to be doing really well. Uh, and he even survived the, the beating that he took against Lazio, which well, was the, impressive the, in the, itself. The crazy thing about Bellingham, we have hardly mentioned him, but I think of all the midfielders that Dortmund have available right now, he is miles above everyone else. And he's just that 17-year-old kid. It just blows my mind every time, but he's just really good. 
He is. And I totally agree. And I feel like he should start. And I think he'll, he'll kill it out there like he always does. But the thing is too, like center back is where we, I mean, it didn't look like this for a couple of days, but center back is where we actually have the depth now. So it might make sense to use three at the back. So that way we can get Hazard in on the, as a wing back and, and pair him up with either Schultz on the left or Passlock on the right. Yeah, Matthias, what are your thoughts on uh, how Dortmund should uh, approach this? I think I've I've written down uh, Birke in goal, then you have Chan Hummels and Zagadou in uh, is the back three, and then you have Passlack, Witzel, Bellingham, and Schulz. Okay, I'll send this. Huh, interesting. <laughs> All right. <laughs> 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 I don't know why Siri just uh, popped on. Uh, anyway, so I had Passlack, Witzel, Bellingham, and Schulz in, in midfield, and as the wingbacks, and then you have Sancho, Hazard, and Royce, the, the front three which is uh, not really that impressive to me as a lineup in terms of where creativity comes from. But uh, what do you think uh, Dortmund can even put on the pitch? And uh, do you think, lastly, that that will maybe turn into a run from my side, but do you think that Favre will make more than uh, two substitutions this time? Ugh, you know, I was in a good mood before we started this <laughs> podcast, but you just have to bring stuff up to piss me off. So, um, no, I I agree with, with your projected lineup because I just don't see many other options, to be honest. I mean, maybe Pishek instead of Chan in, in the back three is maybe the one that I would do at this point just to give Chan a bit of a break because, I mean, there's... You know, Dortmund are playing every three days, and out of the final five matches, four of them are away from home. So, um, you know, it it may not be bad in a match where you're playing against a weak opponent. Not winning it won't be the end of the world. You could maybe take that risk. I would really not want to see Mukoko out there from the beginning because I think Zanit will just chop him in half. Um out of nothing else but frustration at some point. Um, so yeah, your, your lineup sounds about right. And as far as uh, the lack of substitutions, um, until you mentioned on Twitter, checks notes to substitutions, <laughs> it, it somehow, it didn't even really dawn on me. Um, that that was the case. And it like, you can't complain about, injuries and fatigue when you have five substitutions you can make and you don't even make the pre-pandemic amount of substitutions you can make so um i don't i don't know i mean i know we've complained about this in the past about not using all substitutes waiting until the last second to even do anything with Favre. Um, he should have done more because the Frankfurt match just wasn't really going anywhere, knowing the fixture congestion ahead. Uh, I'm completely with you there uh, as far as it, it just baffles me. It always has with Favre. Like, why not? You know you're at Dortmund. Dortmund are going to be playing every three, you know, the, the, English, the English weeks, the three matches in a week is just a standard for Dortmund for years. Utilize those substitutions to give your players a break. Yeah, it's it's mind-bogglingly... Uh, it's just maddening, really. That's what it is, because... I mean, it's not like there was uh, uh, just a list of nobody sitting on the bench. I mean, you still had frickin' uh, Hazard, you had Royce, 
you can bring on Pasolak, Pischek, you know, so there are options um, of players. I mean, Marco Royce hasn't really done much, but, uh, you know, still, <laughs> at some point, you could bring him on, really. Uh, Torgen Hazard obviously always reinvigorates the game just to, due to the amount of energy he brings. So that's just very, very annoying. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't have too many more things to say about this uh, game, and uh, uh, I don't know how much of a preview I can give uh, regarding the Zenit game. Uh, I mean, we'll be back here on on Thursday. So, um, Adam, if you have any closing thoughts uh, on this entire period of uh, shittery, be <laughs> my guest. I mean, my only stat on the subs is just while you guys were talking about it, I clicked all the way back to the Armenia-Bielefeld match. And it's it's a direct correlation. When he uses five subs, we win. When he doesn't, we drop points. Huh. It's perfect correlation ever huh. since match day six. Huh. <laughs> you hear that? <laughs> Great. No, no, we didn't, all even didn't use all the subs against Bayern, Cologne, Lazio, and Frankfurt. Or the matches he didn't use all the subs. I guess because it was going so well. That was a joke. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I got nothing. <sighs> all right. I know. I've 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 long been on the the Favre in train. Well, or just the the not Favre out train. I guess is what I was on. Like I wasn't. But it it gets harder. It gets harder. I mean, things like that, and I don't know. Yeah, it's it's. I'm I'm swinging back and forth on this one because I I do rate Favre as a coach. I think he is a good coach, and I think a good replacement will be hard to find. But at the same time, there are some decisions where I really do scratch my head. Uh, but uh, you know, who knows? Does the next guy do a better job in that regard? I do not know. So, um, you know, having Lucien Favre on there is all right, but at the same time, we're literally losing to freaking Peter Bosch, Leverkusen, who already lost their uh, star players and Kai Havertz and whatnot, and Kevin Folland mm -hmm. and Dortmund are the team that retained Jaden Sancho and Arling Haaland and whatnot. So just in, in this uh, doppelpass way of making an argument here, as if I may, may do so right now, it just... In this sort of context, it's a little bit annoying that Dortmund are in fourth place right now and not doing much better. So, uh, Matthias, was it was it a good thing that that uh, Bayern and, and Leipzig drew, or do you not care at this point anymore? Well, I don't know about not caring at this point anymore. I mean, we've heard the you know, I mean, it's ten matches. You know, it's like there's still still a lot of season left. So. Um, I think a draw though is very good. Um, also, because you could see some vulnerabilities from both sides, which was important to observe. Um, but there's still plenty of season left and plenty of crazy season left with a ton of fixture congestion. Odds are both Leipzig and Bayern are still going to be playing at the same amount of matches that Dortmund does. So, um, I, I, I would caution people against completely overreacting again already at this point. Um, <laughs> I also, yeah. Well, no, no, no. You know, for me, Lucien Favre is a great coach. Um, people that say Favre out when you say who should they, who should bring in and you get thrown names that will never ever happen or that are just 
you know, completely unrealistic. It's like, okay, fine. You know, if that's, if that's who you are, that's who you are as a fan, fine. Um, I'm definitely for the Favre in for the rest of the season, and then we'll see what the end of the season brings type of person. Um, you know, which, you know, I don't know, Eric Ten Hag. Um, see, see, I mean, there's so many things that could still happen, but for now, Lucien Favre is an excellent coach and he's doing an excellent job. I think he has the highest points per game of any Dortmund coach. Is that, is that, I, I feel I checked, like that's it was a stat correct. I, it was, I read. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, he's outperforming Jürgen Klopp, but the big difference is Jürgen Klopp won two Bundesliga titles in a DFB Pokal. Yeah. Um, and, and Dortmund are not there yet with Lucien Favre. Will they be there at the end of the season? Could be. Um, so, yeah, let's just get that second striker in January, okay? All right. So, yeah, that, that's, the, that's the thing. So, uh, you know, there's the transfer window right around the corner. <laughs> and it wasn't really on my mind. And just, oh, God, I just realized a couple of days ago, oh, no, there's more silly season to deal with. It just closed. I was just glad it closed because I hate transfer rumors. And now this entire shit show will start again. Please, dear God, save me. But uh, here we are anyway. Uh, I guess... We'll, we'll uh, end the show with the old Durchhalteparole, hashtag keep the faith or whatever. Um, but uh, no, you know, it, it, let, let, let's end the show on this this perspective. It or, or, always can be worse. Schalke now are on a streak of 26 games without a win. This could be us because Dortmund is not that far away from Gelsenkirchen. The cities are different, but not that different. So, uh, you know, decision makings could have been uh, opposite or swapped or whatever and it could have been Dortmund now on uh, the next step to relegation. Meanwhile, it's Schalke and uh, things in Dortmund are far more rosy, so I'm just very, very thankful for that. So, uh, in the meantime, Adam, please tell our listeners how to get in touch with you on Twitter if they choose so. All right. Uh, seems like we're getting out of here without doing an actual prediction, but... Oh, yeah, so, sorry. On, just go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll go with the prediction as well. I just think that it's it's going to be a struggle again, but we'll squeak by one nothing the way that we should have against Lazio. This is this time it'll actually happen. But yeah, you can find me on Twitter at foosballtwit. Awesome, you can find me at Stefan Butzko, and I think Dortmund will win two one. What about you, Matthias? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Matthias Huck, um, and uh, I will definitely be also be talking about Tasmania, Schalke, Gelsenkirchen um, on Twitter because it's just funny. <laughs> um, and uh, it's really my, funny that Tasmania Berlin are my, really praying that their unique selling point oh, yeah. isn't taken away by Schalke. I know it's like the reverse Miami Dolphins. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's funny. My my mother-in-law is like, when the Steelers go undefeated, there will definitely be an asterisk because they are from Florida and they're like Dolphin fans and all that. So it's the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think Dortmund are going to win two 0 against a very woeful Zenit side. Awesome. And with that, I say, as always, everyone out there, thank you for listening. We'll be back on Thursday. Until then, goodbye.
Mm-hmm. <laughs>